0: Well, we're carrying on in our series on the Gospel of Luke today. We're looking at Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Now, in Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, we have this uh, inc- these two different encounters with Jesus as it relates to the Sabbath. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 1 and 2, and, and then we're going to carry on in our message this morning from there. So Luke chapter 6. Verses 1 and 2 is what we're going to read, and if you don't know where the Gospel of Luke is in the beginning of your Bible, there is a table of contents. Please just go ahead and use it. So, Luke chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, here's what it says. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some of the heads of grain, rub them together in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You catch that? Like, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here, and I pray, Lord, that as we're looking into Your Word, that we would gain an understanding of what Sabbath is really all about, and what You call us into, and what it means for You to be Lord of it. I I pray, Lord, that we would have eyes that are open, ears that are open, and hearts that are open to receive from You uh, from our study today. In Your name, I pray. Amen. So. There's a language here used of Jesus, and that is that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, if you know anything about me, you will know that, that I'm an avid Lord of the Rings fan. Um, I just, it, 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 the story arc in it, the journey language in it, uh, the unsuspecting hero in it uh, is, is just great language for me. And so when I hear the phrase, the Lord of the Sabbath, I automatically hear, or, or my brain kind of, Makes that word association with Lord of the Rings, and specifically, the book title refers to the story of the of the main story's enemy, which is this dark lord named Sauron, who in an earlier age he created this one particular ring that was intended to rule all of the other rings that he had given out, and he had given rings out to uh, the rings of power to men and dwarves and elves, um, and he gave them to them. Uh, kind of manipulatively in a way, because, you know, certainly they believed they were going to gain some power from it, but his ring controlled theirs. And so he did this in his campaign to try and conquer Middle-earth. Well, in the story Lord of the Rings, there's a, a major character by the name of Gandalf. And Gandalf is a, is a wizard in, in the movie, or in the stories. And he is talking to the senior elder of his order, Saruman, on top of a tower, And they're talking about the ring of power. And specifically Gandalf says to Saruman, There is only one lord of the ring, only one who can bend it to his will, and he does not share power. Right. So one lord of the ring, only one who can bend it to his will, and he doesn't share power. So the ring of power is shown to be a tool that has evil intention regardless of the will of the wearer. Now, the only one capable of mastering this ring was, of course, the Lord of the ring. Now, you might say, Rob, what does that got to do with the Sabbath? Well, it's kind of like, for me, in my head, in terms of that word association, in a similar way, the Sabbath actually only has one Lord. He alone is master of it. He created it not for evil, but for the good of man, and he doesn't allow anyone else to rule over it. And there seems to be two truths from our scriptural study today that are going to come out. One of them would be, uh, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath and He determines what is lawful, uh, what kinds of things you can do on the Sabbath. And and the Sabbath is intended for the good of man, not to be a burden. Understanding Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath gives us uh, freedom and it gives us responsibility. In the freedom sense, Jesus sets the bar on what's allowed on the Sabbath. Man does not get to add to to the Scripture any rules related to the Sabbath. In other words, if it's not listed in the Scriptures, it's not something that we're able to just tack on more rules onto in order to make sure that people are following the Sabbath. So that's the freedom we get. Jesus is ultimately in control and he sets the bar. Nobody else is allowed to add to it. But in addition to that, there is a responsibility. And Scripture calls people to keep a holy day. And not only that, there's a requirement on us to understand what that then means. And, and, and so it's important for us to look at this study uh, from a set of eyes of a people who are followers of Jesus. So, Luke chapter 6, verse 1 on the Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick up heads of grain, rub them together in their hands, and eat the kernels. Now, immediately in this passage, we, we learn of this thing called the Sabbath. And you've heard me mention it. A few times already in our time here. Uh, But the Sabbath is actually taken from the fourth commandment. Exodus chapter 20 verse 8 to 11 says, "'Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them but he rested on the seventh day therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy now again this, this is a language that's kind of foreign to us right because we're, we're not from this part of the world we're not certainly not from the era in which it was written but the word Sabbath the word Sabbath and the connotations within Sabbath carry significant meaning on the one hand stop working to cease working. That is this word Shabbat in which we translate then or transliterate into Sabbath uh, in the English. And and so the idea here is that the work is done, there's no more work until we clock back in. We cease working. It's it's a rest, right? Sabbath means rest. And so one part of the language here used is the idea of resting from work. We cease to work. But there's another main Hebrew word for rest used in the scriptures, and in context, along with the idea of keeping the Sabbath day holy, is the word nuaka. And it means to dwell or to settle in. It's not the same as clocking out from our um, daily jobs or hourly jobs. Uh, this type of rest is, is this idea of like sitting around a, a fire, like there's this intimacy of relationships. So you're kind of, you're, you're dwelling, you're settling, you're sitting around in front of a fire with a, la- with a loved one. You're unpacking the suitcase and you're going to settle in for a while. You're going to stay at grandma's house for a holidays, you could say. And so there's this relational intimacy that's intended to be understood within the rest. And it carries this idea of this intimate connection with the Lord. It's an exhale, like we exhale... And it purges the worries of the week and we inhale that invigorates us for the weeks to come, or the week to come. And and so the idea of resting in the Scripture is not just simply don't work, it's the idea of, okay, we're going to cease working because we have days to toil. But then we have this day of rest that's intended to be this intimate relationship with the Lord where there is this almost informality that comes along with it. And by that, what I mean is is that there is this connectedness that's intended to be there that's highly, highly relational, and it's a space where you get to just breathe. You just rest in it, and you exhale. And so God introduces the idea of Shabbat and Noachah right around the same time in Scripture. In, in the creation account, God works for six days creating the world, and He rests on the seventh day, and, and after six days of bringing order into chaos, right? Because there was chaos, tohu who is is the kind of language here, form, formless and void. And, and so he brings order into this chaos, he he toils with it. Um, and only a few verses later we read that God creates human beings and then he immediately rests them, he settles them, nuaka, in the garden with him where he would walk with them. And so God leads by example as he rests from work, Shabbat, and then he dwells with his people, nuaka. In Luke chapter 6, verse 2 then, so so that's the idea of the Sabbath, right? The idea of the Sabbath is we're going to stop working, and we're going to have this space of rest from work, but also rest in the Lord. So it's rest from work and a rest in the Lord, right? And so there's this this really neat combining of these two things that are necessary for us in life. In verse 2 then, some of the Pharisees, right? Because you have to remember that the Pharisees were really big into holy living. Uh, They were people of the book. They they really wanted people to be honoring the Lord in in, in their practice, so holy living was a big deal. And so some of the Pharisees ask, why are your or why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And this idea of unlawful on the Sabbath, uh, one of the things to bear in mind with specifically the Pharisees and, and the scribes, like the teachers of law, is that they had this thing that they referred to as the oral law, and so you had the law that was given. Uh, that that we read in Scripture, and there was this oral law that was to flesh that out. And so they believed that both were kind of in tandem working with each other. And in this there are 39 categories of uh, of activity which Jewish law identifies as prohibited in the Biblical law on the Sabbath. So 39 categories of what laws there are for the Sabbath as it relates specifically to work. And that's a mind job in and of itself in terms of staying on top of all of that. But many of these activities were also prohibited on Jewish holidays in in the list of the first five books of the Bible. So there are often disagreements between Orthodox and Orthodox Jews and conservative Jews uh, and other non-Orthodox Jews on the practical observance of the Sabbath. And so then like there's some debate on what can be done, what cannot be done, all that sort of idea. And now, the, specifically, the Sabbath law regarding work, it's a kotzer, is what it means, is what it says in the, in the Hebrew, kotzer. It is the uprooting or severing of any living plant or vegetation from its source of growth. Okay, So it's the idea that you are not allowed to uproot plants or branches or even one leaf from its source of growth, because that's then considered work. So the law that was broken was that the heads of grain were removed from the stem that caused them to grow. This is the law that's being broken by the disciples at the time as they're walking through this field. Now, it may not seem like a big deal to us, but it broke the oral law that was held strongly by those who would press into holy living. So that gives us some context. You have Pharisees that are really big on wanting to honor the Lord, holy living. And, and, And so there are these rules that are set up. And when someone breaks these rules, it looks like they don't want to be honorable to the Lord. They're not doing the holy living piece. And I think sometimes, maybe often, we we do this with each other, right? Like it's like, oh, you can't do this on a Sunday, or you can't do that, or, you know, and we've got these lists of things that we require of people as it relates to holy living. And so Jesus' response to them then is in the context of what does it truly mean to be people who are living in a holy way. And so he answers them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what was lawful only for the priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. And and, and so Jesus says to these people who are the people of the book, they're the scribes, they're the Pharisees, they know the, the Bible, the Old Testament, backwards and forwards, and so he, when he says to them, have you not read, he's challenging them at the base root of, of how they function and where they derive uh, much of their information, of course, as well as from the oral law. And so this was a not-so-subtle rebuke to the religious leaders who were confident in their knowledge of the Scripture. This had the effect that Jesus was questioning whether or not they even read or understood their Bibles. He implied that they were ignorant of the essential point of knowing the Old Testament event. William Barclay is a famous commentator on the scriptures. He says, It is possible to read the scripture meticulously, to know the Bible inside and out, from cover to cover, to be able to quote it verbatim, and to pass any examination on it, yet completely miss its real meaning. And I think... We do that sometimes. We, we read something, and without trying to press into what the, the overall larger depth of meaning is there, we just take it at the surface level and we apply it to people, and, and we create this unintended legalism. And so Jesus refers them back to David, King David, if anybody to be referring back to. King David is one of those ones where you mention his name and everybody's ears perk up. So what did did David do when he was hungry? Well, the reference to David's use of the bread, the showbread or the bread of presence in 1 Samuel 21 verses 1 to 6 showed us this first principle that you could say you derive from from what Jesus is teaching here, is that human need is more important than religious ritual. That's exactly what many people uh, steeped in tradition simply cannot accept. They they don't believe that God really wants is mercy before sacrifice. So Hosea chapter six, verse six. They don't believe that love to others is more important than religious rituals, Isaiah 58, verse 1 to 9. They don't believe that sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Psalm 51, verse 17. And so there is this idea of it is more important to keep the ritual than it is to serve the people. That's just what is breaking down here. The, the Pharisees did an excellent thing in their desire to hold to the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with wanting to hold to the Word of God. The trouble is is that when you only look at it at a surface level and you don't derive the depth of meaning that's there, then we, we hold people to something. It's not necessarily something that we should be holding them to. Any application of the Sabbath law which operates to the detriment of man is out of harmony with God's purpose. And the incident with David was valid defense because it was a case of eating, right? And this is what they were dealing with. It probably happened on the Sabbath, 1 Samuel 21 verse 6, and it concerned not only David but also his followers. And so then you have this comparative that Jesus has where he's kind of he is the David representative in this and his followers are there and happening on the Sabbath, all these kinds of things. And then in Luke chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus says to him that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. The second principle was even more dramatic because Jesus is saying that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And the only one who is Lord of the Sabbath is the one who made the Sabbath. And the one who made the Sabbath is God himself. And so Jesus here is making a claim to his divinity. That's massive. Jesus said that he had the authority to know if his disciples broke the Sabbath law because he is in fact the Lord of the Sabbath. Luke 6, 6 6-8, on another Sabbath, right, so there's two Sabbaths at play here, there's the first one we're talking about the taking of the grain, and then you have the second Sabbath, when he went to the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely. Now here's what's happening, right? Like, they already know that Jesus is doing things on the Sabbath. In the last number of chapters, we've been looking at different occasions in which Jesus did things on the Sabbath, casting out demons, healing people, uh, certainly eating and, and taking the grain from the harvest field. And, and so now here we are, we're in a situation where they're on Sabbath, they're in the synagogue, and they're watching closely to see whether or not Jesus is going to heal somebody and whether or not he would heal specifically on the Sabbath. And by their very actions, the Pharisees were admitting that Jesus had the power of God to work miracles, and yet they sought to trap him. And so you have this interesting contradiction. And this is what I mean when I say like Sometimes we miss some of the depths of meaning that's here and, and some of the things that should be obvious that aren't always obvious. The religious leaders watch Jesus closely but with no heart of love for him. We can watch Jesus, but still be far from our hearts, in our hearts from him. And the Lord of the Sabbath, we see heals on the Sabbath. In chapter 6, verse 9 to 11, Then Jesus said to him, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save a life or to destroy it? He looked around at all of them, and then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, like, there's a number of things going on here. Like, The first thing is, okay, so Jesus is pointing out a question. It's a textual question. It's a question of the law. And the question of the law was, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save a life or destroy it? And so when he looked around, he sees this guy, he says, hey, stretch out your hand. And as he does, this guy's hand is completely healed, completely restored. But the Pharisees were filled with rage over this. As a matter of fact, in the original language, the the rage that they felt uh, is this indication of so much anger that they couldn't even think straight. Like it was just beyond themselves. You ever be that angry? Like so angry that you just couldn't even think straight? And so is it lawful to on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or destroy it. And in his question to the religious leaders, Jesus emphasizes the truth about the Sabbath. That there's never a wrong day to do something truly good. Never a wrong day to do something truly good. So he commands this guy to stretch out his hand. And and so he commands this guy to do something impossible. Like stretch out your hand. Well, his hand was shriveled up. So to stretch out his hand, he, he causes him to try and do something excuse me, impossible, filled with compassion for the man, Jesus heals him. He was present. He did good. But the religious leaders were filled with rage. When Jesus did this miracle on the Sabbath, He met the needs of simple people and He broke religious traditions of the establishment. Now I want you to notice something here. They saw the miracle and they were not excited about what the lord did they they instead of being excited about what god was doing they're seeing the miracle they're holding to their tradition and their understanding which was flawed so they're mad that jesus broke their law on the sabbath even though he did this miracle on the sabbath see how they missed the point point? and i think sometimes we're like that too like sometimes we miss the point now obviously their rage and plotting of murder discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus was far greater violations of the Sabbath than healing of somebody on the Sabbath. Jesus sought, and remember how he posed the question, is it lawful to do good or to do evil? To save a life or destroy? And what we find here is that Jesus saves, Jesus does good. And and, and juxtaposed over top of that you have these religious leaders who sought to destroy and so the greater offense that he's pointing to is that they sought to destroy. That was the great, <clears throat> excuse me, <coughs> the greater offense. And so there's this colossal missing the point. Do you have anything that you hang on to that if somebody were to break it, even if they were doing something good? that you would have difficulty seeing the good? Because you're so busy, or we're so busy, looking at the law that they broke. Well, Rob, that doesn't match up with how I see things. No, probably didn't. Didn't match up with how these guys saw things. Rob, that that makes me uncomfortable. Probably. Good. But if, if it's of the Lord, and it's good, why would we fight that? So I think it's important that we talk a little bit about the what it, within Christianity we call the Lord's Day, which is not the Sabbath day specifically. Um, there's debate amongst people um, who, who I wish would look into the whole counsel of the Word of God, but there's debate amongst people as to whether or not the believer is still required to follow and abide by the Sabbath. Now, this is important. The law of the Sabbath is very specific and it has incredibly specific meaning attached to it and, and so to suggest that uh, a Gentile is required to follow the Sabbath is to say that we need to follow some kind of Jewish law some Jewish tradition and I think we want to be careful with how we approach this. so here's how we should approach this in Colossians chapter 2 verse 16 and 17 Paul explicitly refers to the Sabbath at a shadow of Christ Right? So the Sabbath is a rest, and Christ is our rest. So Christ is the Sabbath fulfilled. And so for the Jewish person, they, they, they still look at the shadow of rest with the Lord, and they do that on a weekly basis. For the believer, we're able to enter into this Sabbath rest daily because Jesus is, in fact, our rest. And so the Sabbath is a shadow of Christ, which is no longer binding since Christ has come and brought the fullness of rest from God. And so it's quite clear in those verses that the weekly Sabbath is in view. The phrase, there's a language in here, the phrasing of a, a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day refers to annual, monthly, and weekly holidays of the Jewish calendar that people were required to follow. And what Paul is saying here to the Colossian church is that, listen, like regardless of whether it's this moon festival or if it's a, a festival or a new moon or, or a Sabbath day, these are all things that were shadows of Jesus and now we actually have Jesus so hang on to Jesus not onto these things if Paul were referring to a special ceremonial days of rest in that passage then why would he have used the word sabbath he had already mentioned the ceremonial dates when he spoke of the festivals and new moons So the Sabbath was a sign of Israel uh, being part of the Mosaic Covenant that we read in Exodus 31, Ezekiel 20, Nehemiah 9, and since we're now under this new covenant, according to Hebrews chapter 8, we're no longer required to observe the sign of the Mosaic Covenant, which is the Sabbath. Now, this is important. I'm not saying that the Sabbath is bad, so please don't hear that. But the New Testament never actually commands believers to follow the Sabbath. The Sabbath is something very Jewish we have something within Christianity that is highlighted in the in the New Testament as well that we refer to as the Lord's Day now I can lean into that a lot but what I would rather do at this point is just I want to quote dr. John Newfelt from back to the Bible because I think he he put it together really well in, in terms of a word about the Lord's Day And so when we're referencing the Sabbath, whether or not the believer is required to follow the Sabbath, the answer is no. But then the secondary question then is, what do we do with our days of worship? So here's what Dr. John Neufeld says according to Scripture. Does this mean that there's no day of worship set aside under the new covenant? Well, no, that's not what it means at all. There's plenty of evidence in the New Testament that the first day of the week... Resurrection Sunday is viewed as the Lord's Day. Acts chapter 20, 1 Corinthians 16, Revelation 1. And in fact, the resurrection even occurs on the eighth day, which would be like the first day according to the Jewish calendar. It would be Sunday. The day both on which the new creation commences and on which later Pentecost and the Spirit poured out. On this day, the church gathers for worship. And in fact, the author who exhorts the Christians to make sure that they've entered into the realities of the New covenant, talking about Hebrews chapter 3, uh, verse 7 all the way to 4 uh, verse 11, and where he starts talking about this idea of, of what it means to have the Lord's day celebrated, and that, we're, that the reality of Christ's coming is our reality of Sabbath fulfilled. And so when he says, in the same one who commands them to assemble as a church, and like he says, do not give up meeting together, or some are in the habit of doing. Uh, so that's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Why is the Lord's day prescriptive to us? Well, because it follows the New Testament's pattern of churches gathering to celebrate the risen Lord. That's what it means. The Lord's day is exactly that, his day, and we gather to celebrate the risen Lord. Celebrate the realities of Jesus being risen, which means our Sabbath rest is fulfilled. Jesus is our rest. Jesus calls us to find our rest and our salvation in Him. Why? Well, because He is the divine Son of God. He is the Son made flesh, the Lord of glory, the Lord of the Sabbath. Nevertheless, we should not view the Lord's day as a Christian Sabbath. These are different. Under the Old Covenant, the Sabbath functioned in a specific way for Israel. Under the New Covenant, though, the Lord's Day signifies what the Sabbath pointed to, the greater salvation rest that we now have in Jesus. And so one is a shadow and one is the reality. In the New Testament, there are no specific regulations about the day other than the exhortation to continue to gather together as the people of God. And in fact, depending on where one lived in the world, Christians may have to work on Sunday. Not every country is afforded the same advantages that we're afforded here. But regardless of where we live, Christians are still together to worship our triune God on the Lord's day as evidence that we are part of this new creation, longing for the fullness of salvation, rest in the new heavens and the new earth. In the meantime, we gather as God's people to worship and adore and cry with the church in all the ages. In Revelation 22, verse 20, he says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. And all the church then says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Look, here's the truth. There's a much deeper study you could do related to the Sabbath on this and the Lord's day. But if I can encourage you with this, is this. The Lord's day is set apart as a day that we gather together to worship. And He's still Lord of it. And He's the one who gets to determine what happens there. And so we are to glorify Him, we are to honor Him, but we're not held to the Sabbath day anymore. We have something different. The Sabbath, the Sabbath is a shadow of the rest that we have in Christ, the salvation we have in Christ. And so let us live into the salvation that we have, not into the shadow Let's live towards and celebrate the Lord's Day, the day of that atonement, the, the Resurrection Sunday, the all these incredible symbolic meanings of the reality of what the Christian faith professes and brings. And then when we read that Jesus says, I am coming soon, with the entirety of the cr- expression of the Christian church, we are able to say together, amen, come Lord Jesus. Sometimes I would suggest to you that, or often, we just do that best when we're together. So in whatever means that looks for you, gather with other believers. And we worship the Lord who brought the fullness of the Sabbath rest to us. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time, and I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who would lean not into rules and regulations, but that out of a heart of obedience on a daily basis to you, that we would live in that rest that you give us. Lord, that we would not be a people who settle for the shadow, but that we would experience the fullness of your salvation. And Lord, that we would be a people on the Lord's day. We would celebrate the realities of what you've did on the cross in the resurrection. What you will do, Lord, in the second coming. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen.